Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, brought to you by Ceres. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. My guest for this episode of the Sustainable Finance Podcast develops circular economy models and metrics to push for material impact in ESG measurement of e-waste, food systems, extractive resources, and mobility. He consults with NGOs, development agencies, venture capital, and impact investment firms. Today, we're asking ourselves, what is the circular economy and why is it important? Eugenio Liu also wants to find out what are the circular economy's biggest challenges and difficulties. I don't know how much help I'm going to be, Eugenio, but uh, before we get started here, <laughs> I want to say a few words about our sponsor. I'm thrilled to talk about the important work that Ceres is doing. Ceres is a nonprofit organization working with the most influential capital market leaders to solve the world's greatest sustainability challenges. Through their powerful networks and global collaborations of investors, companies, and nonprofits, Ceres drives action and inspires equitable, market-based, and policy solutions throughout the economy. To learn more, go to series.org slash podcast. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash podcast. At Ceres, sustainability is the bottom line. So, Eugenio, what is your definition of the circular economy and what are its advantages over existing linear models? Mm. Uh, first of all, I just want to say a couple of words about being in your program, Paul. Um, it, it really is a very big pleasure uh, being here. I listen to your podcast. I've been listening to it for a long time. And many times I find myself um, hearing to some really interesting uh, stories and points of views. Um, you have great guests. And thank so you. it is for me an honor to be here. So thank you for having me. Now, um, yeah. Go right ahead and... That's wonderful. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I mean we'll, that. I think yeah. we'll just stop recording right there. That's all we need, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So um, definition of, of the circular economy. Okay, so it, it's, it's quite easy, actually. I think that the easiest way of doing this is what everybody does, which is to start first by defining, you know, what the, uh, uh, the traditional linear economy we're in right now, and then you can contrast against it. So... It helps understand that um, the way it works right now is we we take resources, we extract resources, we turn them into goods, we use them, and then after their useful life, we discard them. It's just that simple. Um, but these products end up in landfills uh, where they generate a enormous amount of pollution, greenhouse gas emissions, methane among them. Um, or uh, they find their way into our oceans. Our fish eat microplastics. We all know about that by now. And ultimately, that reaches us through the uh, food chain, right? Chemicals find their way into our underground water tables. That's very dangerous. Um, things like e-waste, electronic waste, contain all kinds of very toxic chemicals. And could, I, mean, I could go on and on, but... Um, the thing is that all that waste we generate is literally uh, killing us. So with the concept of the circular economy, what we're trying to do essentially is to eliminate waste. Really, that's what we're trying to do. 
And, and but then how do we do that? And that's when it gets a bit more complicated, right? There's several different concepts and many different ways, but it just boils down to like two or three different essential concepts. One of them is to reduce consumption. Uh, you know, the less stuff we buy, the less stuff we throw. So it's that's very logical. So products then need to be designed for durability. Um, the other one would be repair and reuse. Right. Try to keep that product circulating as 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 much as possible. Your computer, your bikes, your clothing, your shoes, you know, keep keep these products alive. And if the products have reached uh, the end of their life cycle, uh, we can remanufacture. Um, you know, we can remanufacture them and, and take maybe components and upcycle them into new products by maximizing their inherent value. And I'm going to spend a little time here talking about this because this is very critical. You know, yeah, you know, every product that we purchase, um, that we use, has a tremendous amount of value stored in them. In fact, infinitely more than the purchase price that we might have originally paid for it. I'll take 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 a look at my T-shirt. That's like $25 T-shirt. Um, cheap, right? Um, and, and it probably started off as a cotton ball somewhere, maybe somewhere in India, I don't know, um, picked by some field worker uh, who had to toil under the sun, right? Transported to some cotton mill and spun into a yarn. Then it was transported again to a textile mill where it was turned into fabric. That fabric was then transported to a clothing manufacturer, either in India, Pakistan, or somewhere all the way in Vietnam, where it was cut, sewn by workers who live under very, very sketchy conditions, you know. Um, and then that's turned into a T-shirt, finally. That T-shirt then is put on a container, and that container crosses the ocean and, and reaches um, our shores or here, where it's being put in a warehouse, and finally, it's uh, shipped uh, to me. So this is just a very oversimplified example of the logistics that a very simple product like my T-shirt underwent. Now, if, 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 if this is an oversimplified example, you can just imagine how it would be for something that's more complex. Think about a computer, for example. You know, something that has much more value add. Um, think about the amount of greenhouse gases that were emitted throughout the life cycle of, of just that T-shirt, right? Um, so my T-shirt right now stores value in, in the form of materials, um, energy spent, um, labor, carbon released, and many others. Um, and again, I go back to the same thing. If if just a T-shirt stores so much value, think about things that are a little more um, higher value add. Right? Cell phones, um, for example. Well, yeah, yeah, cell phones and 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 uh, laptops and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So, um, what we want to do really here is try to uh, um, capture as much of that inherent value as possible, and that's really key. When we break down products into their basic components to be recycled, right? We lose all of that value, right? Because then then all of that has just been thrown away like magic. We all were all we're left are just like these pellets, plastic pellets or 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 metal scraps that we're gonna have to like put through the cycle from from almost from the beginning 
all the way again. So all that value has been thrown. That's just a huge waste. And all of the gas emissions that were that were already spent that are floating up there for nothing. You know, so it's it's uh, that can't go on. That's just uh that's just stupid. Um, so what we're trying to do here is try to retain as much of that uh, of that value. When we recycle it, we retain zero value, almost zero value. And yet the problem is that many people associate um, circular economy with recycling. Yes, a lot and, of people do. A lot of people do. They don't understand that it's not about recycling. It's about capturing value. Um, and so that kind of thinking is incorrect. Um, so yeah. I have a question for you here. Yeah. That implies, uh, at least from my perspective, what you're saying is that the materials that are used, the products that are made, all of these things have to have an other whole component that's part of the process of manufacturing them in the first place. In other words, there has to be a post-useful life process that would take over to make sure that they are part of the circular economy and are in a reuse or reconfigure process after, let's say, the lifetime that I have used my cell phone for. Am I, yeah. am I on point here? Is this accurate? You're right on point. It's something we're going to be touching about because that dwells into what we're going to be talking about in terms of, um, of, of the uh, loops, right, and, and how those loops need to be shortened. It has all to do with this, right, because the more value and the better you design these components so that you can retain that value without them having to go all the way down to the recycling point um, is, is ideal, of course. But in order to do that, it takes a huge amount, a, a rethinking in terms of how do you design industrial design products before they're being made so that they can turn up being like Lego sets almost. So that once you're done with your with your phone right now, all you need to do is just unplug some of these elements that retain a lot of value and and in a way maybe go through a very uh, simple refurbishing or remanufacturing process and then they go straight back into a cycle you know so yes yes you you, okay. you do need to take that into account and i think that's one of the biggest challenges right now for um organizations like the um helen macarthur um foundation just trying to figure out how do you integrate good design within this but it's much more complex than just design as well we'll look you know. so now you mentioned the loops yeah let's let's discuss the principles of keeping products and materials in use or mm. what you refer to as tightening the loop now you also mentioned the uh, ellen macarthur foundation do yeah. they do a lot of work in this area are they funding a lot of projects related to circularity within the, the they do they do that uh, these guys are the the standard everybody the helen macarthur foundation is sitting right at the very top of the pyramid everything starts from then they're the ones who really advocate this thing they're the ones who really got it started and they've got it done in a very rigorous manner they come up with a lot of policies so yes they're very involved in this um talking about the um the the tightening of the loop i i think hmm. look um when you close a loop it means that we take a product after its useful life 
and reinserted into a new product life cycle without the need to extract new virgin materials. That's the, the whole point behind it. Now, the more inherent value we can retain from that product, um, the tighter the loop. So for example, if we were to remanufacture a product um, so that it's closer to its original state, then the loop is tight because it has a lot of value still retained in that product. Uh, whereas if we have to go all the way down to the recycling stage where the product is going to lose all of its value, then the loop is very loose. In fact, the loosest. That's that's the last thing we want to do. Um, earlier when I was talking about how products have such a large amount of inherent value in them um, uh, and, 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 and how the ultimate aim in the uh, circular economy is to capture um, or retain as much of that um, well, tightening the loop means closing that loop to as close to the product's original state as, as possible. I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, that's... It does. Yeah, it does make sense. And I want to explore that thought just a little bit uh, further. Yeah. What that implies, again, to me, is yeah. that you've got a, a lo an awful lot of uh, companies, for example, across yeah. this whole process of the circular economy that need to be collaborating and in partnership in some way in order to achieve these tight loops that you're referencing. So you've got the the resource mining company, you've got the manufacturing company, you've got the marketing part of the process, you've got the whole supply chain that is dealing with all of these processes that may be away from the original uh, or, or the manufacturer who ends up getting paid to sell the product to, to you or me as a consumer. So realistically, uh, Eugenio, how important is the need for co collaboration and partnership to achieve this? Oh, you hit it right there, man. That's really the crux of the entire matter, in, in my view, right? Because there's a lot of good stuff going on. But if you really want to just go beyond... Um, waste recycling and 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 yeah waste recycling which is what i i'm just going to guess about maybe at least 50 percent of everything we're doing with the circular economy has to do with recycling that's not really what we want to do right um so in order to achieve that tight loop there has to be collaboration it's, it's just extremely important um as i said this is the crux of, of, of what we're trying to do retaining as much inherent value means um altering the product as little as possible before reinserting it into uh, a new loop, right? But how do you do that? How do you do that while allowing for, and this is the key, flexibility so that the product can fit, uh, you know, seamlessly um, into the new or the next generation environment? Because, and, and just to pause here, because the other problem that we have with with the circular economy is is a concept of degrowth, right? Sell less and less and less products. And and I, I don't have an answer for that and I've been struggling with that, but it's related to what we're gonna be talking about over here. Uh, so for example, take a laptop computer you purchased today and that maybe five years down the line, it becomes obsolete, right? And, and in order for us to reuse or remanufacture its um, electronic components, uh, think about uh, motherboards, CPUs, uh, monitors, hard drives, you know, uh, we would need to 
I, I think we will need to have two critical conditions. One of them is these things need to be designed one way or another in a modular uh, mentality so they can just unplug and plug, number one. But then how do you do that in a way that's flexible? That's that's where the problem is, right? So in order for you to really achieve that kind of flexibility, the R&D departments between all of these players, the manufacturing, the distributor, uh, the retailer, um, all of these guys need to be like so much in tune and their R&D departments need to be in tune. And that's very difficult because R&D, as you know, traditionally are... Uh, a, a company's competitive advantage. They're not going to be very happy about sharing the real information with anyone out there. But the only way for this to work is to trust each other or reach some kind of a conclusion where where we're working together in our own RD. I, the way I look at this, maybe Paul, is kind of a federated um, relationship. Okay. In the future, you know what I mean. So that we have here in the U.S., we have the the federal government. Right. We all are part of that federal government, but we're all individual states. We have our own prerogatives. We have our own laws. We all have our own, you know, wants and needs and all that. So we have a certain amount of independence to compete, say, California against Texas. Right. We have that. But we're, we all fall under one common umbrella. So maybe it'll end up becoming something like that, because otherwise I can't see how you're going to be able to collaborate with with these different supply chain elements um, while competing against each other it just won't work so i my next question i guess is about this whole concept of degrowth mm. because what we're really talking about and, and this is uh, an important part of uh, what we're covering here today is this idea of disrupting the current realities that are out there regarding the entire supply chain and the entire product cycle for many different kinds of products mm. and technologies that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. So this is being pursued in developed economies. Um, from your perspective, how does this make sense as this the circular economy approach for developing countries and how can it bring disruption into those realities in those countries uh, in a degrowth format? Because uh, what we've used so far is all about growth, high growth, fast growth. Oh, gosh. That, that's a tough <laughs> one, man. You, 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 you just sort of like threw, threw everything at me, man. <laughs> we got three minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah, three minutes. Okay, really quick. Well, first of all, let, let me just answer. There, there are two questions here. The, the, sure. to, to the degrowth, I don't have an answer. I really mm. don't know. Okay. Mm. I do know that if we really want to achieve full circular economy we have to figure out a model a business model that will allow companies to continue generating profit while selling less how in the world you do that i have no idea but there, there are concepts being thrown out there for example product as a service that's one thing right so you don't need to buy a product you can just buy the service Right. And, and 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 let's say you buy a pair of skis, Well, you don't buy a pair of skis. You're just like use the uh, skis, use them for for a day, two days and boom, they're gone. And they're like really good skis. That's all you need. You don't need to own the skis. 
cars could be the same way who knows i don't know the answer to that but i know that's a problem kayaks could be, be the same way in the, 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 in the town that i live in there's mm -hmm. a guy who does he leases the kayaks uh, for day day use on the river and no, it could they be, come back to him so could be clothing it could be a lot a whole bunch of things right so maybe there's maybe there's a route that way i don't know right now you're talking about how um the circular economy works for Latin America. Well, I, no, not Latin America, uh, developing countries. I say Latin America because I grew down there. I work with a lot of companies in Latin America. Um, but the way that that the circular economy can disrupt um, Latin America is, if I were to boil it down to a very simple concept, is that it will allow Latin America to leapfrog from a traditional linear development all the way straight into into all the new stuff right now because the reality is in order for you to implement seriously implement um uh circular economy you're gonna have to integrate uh four ir uh, technologies that stands for fourth industrial revolution what does that mean well you're talking about the newest technologies you're talking about robotics you're talking about um machine learning um ai iot all that stuff needs to be brought in because that's the only way that you're going to be able to turn supply chains talking to each other in the most efficient manner and identify because there's going to be a lot of big data management identify where things click right so you bring all this for um ir into the game and let's say in south america okay it's just i'm not going to name any countries but let's just say that one of these countries has a computer illiteracy of 90 percent so only 10 percent in the country know how to use a computer well if you if if companies in this in this if the entire system and companies that belong to the system all of a sudden now have to work with um with with the circular economy then guess what all of their employees or workers are going to have to very quickly uh be trained into anything that has to do with computing otherwise there's no way they're going to get the, the job done so it's a way of forcing quick um quick uh development status if you will so again mm -hmm. it just helps people leapfrog um what might take dozens of years to reach and so and let me, yeah let me we're, we're just we're running out of time today eugenio yeah. but what i did want to uh, suggest is that there are a lot of private market investment platforms mm. in the developed economies today that are yeah. taking this kind of approach in the developing economies when i yeah. talk to some of these people that are funneling a lot of capital into developing economies one of the things that they will say is look these economies are already leapfrogging these new technologies because quite frankly everyone on the street has a cell phone and they use mm. it for everything their yeah. banking their shopping their work their communications yeah. etc so they're not using they're not buying a bunch of different devices to 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 participate in their local economy they're using one tool one machine and that's the cell phone that's in their pocket yeah and they do banking that way as well and they make sure their kids are okay at school and all of that kind of stuff so china china is one of them yeah yes so 
what's happening uh, to some extent already in terms of circularity in these developing economies is just that, is they are leapfrogging technologies that have been part of the infrastructure of the developed economies for at least 50 years and just going right past them. And the smart investment platforms that see that that's happening are the ones that are capitalizing this leapfrog effect. Mm. Uh, that's, the, that's the simplest way I can put it today. We'll have to come back to it again in a future conversation and have one of those companies as an example that well, we can discuss. So, that'd be great. Yeah. Anyway. Since we're just about out of time today, uh, it would be very helpful if you can tell me where online our listeners can learn more about the circular economy and how they can get in touch with you about the topics that we've discussed in today's episode. Oh, sure. Uh, That's easy. The best way of reaching me, at least, is through my LinkedIn page. Just type in Eugenio Liu and it'll show up, you know. and, and in terms of finding information on, on the circular economy, I think the first place to start has to be Ellen MacArthur Foundation. That's where you go. Um, they will give you her, they have a very great website. It's very complete. You can start from the very basics all the way up to like the regulations and how the EU is implementing, you know, circular economy into their green deal and all of the, which, you know, all of these regulations that are coming out, the taxonomy and so on and so forth. So I would go there. I'd go to uh, Ellen MacArthur. Okay. Well, listen, thanks again to Eugenio Leo. Sure. Sustainability consultant for ESG strategy and development. And to our sponsor, the series accelerator for sustainable capital markets. The Series Accelerator is a center of excellence within Series that aims to transform the practices and policies that govern capital markets to reduce the worst financial impacts of the climate crisis. For more information, go to series.org slash accelerator. That's C-E-R-E-S dot org slash accelerator. And to our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis. And this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. 